Hi there, and welcome to episode 27 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I am your co-host, Matt Larson, along with... Cricket Lou. And so far, we are hewing to our promise to maybe no one but ourselves. Actually, I don't know that you agreed to this either. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe this is only in my mind that we would do a, one podcast per month in 2012. I, I think I... I acknowledged the aspiration anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'd like okay. to do that. Uh, of course, that would, you know, are we, is our ambition to record once a month or to actually release once a month? I think it needs to be released or we're already stopped before we started. Yeah. Since we didn't record. We, we recorded in late December and released in January for oh, the last okay. episode. Okay. All right, then it's it's release. So uh, we got to get this this one recorded and uh, edited and dropped out onto the we have an extra day. Right. We do. It's the <laughs> it's the leap year episode. That's right. That's right. So what we should maybe do is record episodes 27, 28 and 29 so that episode 29 can be released on. No, that's just weird and obsessive. Yeah, and and given our track record, I think it's very unlikely to impossible. <laughs> Unless we're going to do you know one fifteen minute episode <laughs> answering one question. All right. Well, who who has the mailbag? I think I think you do. Oh, okay. Does that ah. sound anything like a mailbag? It's yeah. actually a it's a it's actually a case of Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> no, it's the mailbag. Oh, oh, right. It's it's the mailbag. Happens to be full of boxes of cookies. All right. Our first question comes to us from Alan Frabut. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his last name, but he says, uh, we're in a situation where marketing people are dictating technology choices. Always an unfortunate situation to be in. Insisting we can't rely on DNS for any kind of resilient infrastructure due to ISP name servers not honoring TTLs. Can you point to any hard data, research, and or best practices relating to this? Well, so we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and we both agreed that we have heard many times people allege that there are out there ISPs or, you know, service providers of some kind or another that do not honor TTLs with their recursive servers. But I have never seen demonstrated proof of that. Yeah, it's sort of the Yeti of name servers, I think. Uh, people talk about them and they say, oh, you know, so-and-so's name server had uh, this information lodged in it for such a long time, uh, you know, well past the, the use-by date. But, you know, I, I, I've, I, I don't know of any mainstream name server that does that or has any option to do that. Do you? Yeah, well, so now as, as, soon, as, you, um, as soon as you said that, I realized that there's two ways to look at this. Maybe he means not honoring as in like keeping stuff too long. Right. But the other not honoring is keeping stuff too little a time, which I guess really isn't, I guess if you're publishing data, that wouldn't be an issue except that you'd see, you know, fractionally more queries from caches refreshing sooner. Right. And it's funny, you know, the, the other thing I thought of when I, I started talking about, um, not honoring TTLs was the possibility, uh, you know, that that Sino-American paper that just came out, uh, the one about threats to DNS and the possibility of being able to indefinitely refresh data that had been deleted. Yes. 
Um, so there is that possibility, but that seems that seems pretty remote. I, I, that's not really what he's asking about. Although those sorts of attacks are possible. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess so. Let's let's think about this from the service provider's perspective. If you even could configure a name server to to do this to not honor TTLs in the long direction, in other words, not expire stuff, why would you want to do that? Because stuff would just accumulate and the memory image of your recursive name server would just grow over time. Why, why, why would anyone want that? Well, you're less worried about that, presumably, than you are the latency involved in re-resolving something that you figure ha- just hasn't changed. That would be my guess. Yeah. Right, right. You just want instantaneous answers from cache. You say, hey, www.facebook.com hasn't changed its IP address. Although, you know, with a property like that, it may well have because of global server load balancing or uh, because, you know, somebody's taken something uh, out of the mix for load balancing. Who knows? Yeah, well, I I mean, there are strategies that you can do. In fact, doesn't, doesn't Google DNS do something where they um, preemptively refresh popular names seems to me i have read or heard something about that 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 may be so and in fact i believe that open dns has the ability if it uh loses the ability to resolve a particular domain name it can hand you back the last thing that that domain name resolved to which is clever i mean that yeah. that i don't have an issue with yeah and and is is i think still more or less in keeping with the spirit of TTL, right? Because at that point, you know, you can't resolve it at all. Your choice is either to say, I can't give you that answer or to give the last known answer. Yeah, so why, why wouldn't you? It's hard to argue not to do that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's clever. And uh, we did verify that if you're talking about this not honoring in the other direction, it certainly is possible with at least bind and unbound to put uh, an a very low upper bound on TTLs if you wanted. So for example, you could say, I don't want to cache anything regardless of its TTL longer than, I don't know, 15 minutes. You could do that if you wanted to. Yeah, with the the bind max cache TTL, I think, uh, substatement, you can do that. I don't know whether, we were talking about this, I don't know whether there is actually a minimum uh, that you can set that to. Certainly you wouldn't want to set that to zero or it would be probably devastating to your name server for all kinds of reasons but uh, i don't know whether you could set it for example to 60 seconds and have that uh, have that work something for our listeners to try that's right they can check it out and post an answer to the the comments on this episode if they'd like that would mean we'd actually have to let the comments through are you looking at the comments well i you know we plugged in we plugged in our our comment uh sanitizer <laughs> a kismet or whatever it is oh and yeah well I, that's true that I, helped. I, I think it's doing a, a fairly good job of of keeping the comment spam out of there because the volume of comment spam we were seeing was about <laughs> an order of magnitude or two greater than the actual comments <laughs> all right i think we've i think we've answered that to i the think extent so. that our usual asymptotically approaching some answer. <laughs> That's right. All right. So our next question then is from a guy named Joe Conlon. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, kind of longish here, so bear with me. So Joe says that he works for a regional ISP and data center and that he runs their DNS stuff. 
and he is wondering about DNS service provider policy when it comes to abuse. And he says, mm-hmm. when providing DNS as a service, is it better to rate limit queries or block or blacklist offenders or untrusted networks or just allow DNS to proceed as normal without intervention? And then he goes on to describe how he's um, using a, a particular combination of uh, firewalls and, and software to actually do some some rate limiting. And he's just sort of wondering, you know, his last, you know, he winds his winds up his message by asking, "How does the rest of the DNS provider world stand on the issue of abuse and the penalties thereof?" Hmm. Well, I think it would depend somewhat on the type of abuse, wouldn't you? I mean, for example, um, I've occasionally seen uh, somebody trying to send dynamic updates to one of my zones, and uh, when I see that, I, you know, I, I just uh, AC all them off the you know, name server or, uh, or or black hole them because, I mean, rate limiting really wouldn't help that much, right? They'd still be able to, to try, for example, to guess a TSIG key that they might be able to update the zone with. So for, for something like that, um, I'd, I'd use an ACL and, and, uh, and not worry about it. If it were, for example, a less definite... Um, attack something where you wouldn't have to to worry quite so much for example just somebody who seemed to be sending a lot of queries to you then it seems to me that rate limiting them uh might be might be the the more neighborly thing to do what do you think about that yeah i i think in certain circumstances i think it also depends on uh exactly what the zone is as well um so you know for example if if it's a critical infrastructure zone, uh, you know, for, um, I can tell you that it's VeriSign's policy to, uh, you know, not, not rate limit, uh, .com or .net, for example, or also the, the A and J root servers that, that we operate. And, and as always, I need to stress that whenever I say VeriSign, I'm talking as Matt Larson and not speaking on behalf of, of VeriSign. There's my legal disclaimer. Um, but, you know, VeriSign, Feel strongly that that that's you know that, that we have to give a response to every query that we that we get and we you know plan the infrastructure accordingly. Um, you know I, I do know that uh, not every provider of critical infrastructure feels that way and that you know I, I you know without naming names I know that there are organizations that that do rate limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I take your point. I mean, if you're a provider of public infrastructure like VeriSign is, uh, th- there is, I think, an obligation to uh, make a best effort to answer everything that comes your way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but, I, you know, I, th- I think on the other hand, if uh, if if you are at a lower level in the DNS hierarchy, like, a, you know, a second level of zone, you know, I I, th- I think it would be reasonable to have a to have a high threshold and, and start rate limiting people. I mean, I can tell you from looking at the the kind of traffic that you see at a root server or at a uh, a TLD server, w- there are times where uh, a given source IP will ask the same question just repeatedly, like you know, line rate kind of speed, just hundreds of sometimes thousands of times. Yeah. And yeah. and what what's that about? You know, I mean, we mm-hmm. don't. It, it seems, it seems hard. I mean, we really should make a research effort to get to the get to the bottom of that to try and, you know, pin pin something down. But it's just never been high enough on the on the priority list. But 
I suppose if you had uh, you know a really aggressive name server behind some sort of firewall that allowed queries out, but 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 not the responses. Server, yeah, couldn't yeah. hear his responses. But even then, when you look at the rate of some of this stuff that I've seen, you go, well, how could that? How could yeah. anybody write a retransmission algorithm that aggressive? I mean, that's just pathological. So yeah. Well, there was that excellent paper um, that uh, who was it? It was uh, Casey Claffey and Neville Brownlee and somebody else, maybe Evie Nemeth, did the the twenty four hours in the life of a root name server, where they analyzed. Um, the logs that they got from ISC, I think, from from F, or at least one of the instances or two of the instances of F, and categorized all of that data. And they found that 99%, if I remember correctly, 99% of the load, the queries that F was receiving, were junk, were yes. unnecessary queries. I, I recently looked at that paper. So it's called, Is Your Caching Resolver Polluting the Internet? And actually, Dwayne Wessels, uh, whom we've talked about many times and, and who... Uh, works for VeriSign. Uh, he, he's a co-author on on that, and I think it's from about 2002 or 2003. And you're right, it is it is F root, uh, and I, I want to say it was uh, it was like 98% was was junk. And he and he categorized the different categories of of junk, and and by uh, the, you arrive at the at the 98% by adding up all the things that are demonstrably bogus queries that, that you could bring right. to it, like uh, non-existent TLDs. Oh, there's a, there's a massive amount of IP addresses for IP addresses. Exactly, yeah. Think, things yeah. like that. And, and, and that study, um, someone repeated, in fact, I think it was, oh, this is the problem with naming names when you're not sure. Um, um, I'm not, the name's not coming to me, but uh, somebody repeated it on the, uh, we, we now have a, a, a pretty good cache of root server data from, uh, every year, there's this project called uh, DITL, Day in the Life of the Internet. Yeah. And various different uh, data gets collected. But the main thing that gets collected is uh, root server data. Uh, most of the root servers contribute. And it's a 48-hour window. It's usually in the in the spring. And we've done that now for six or seven years. And that does mean that we've got a pretty good sample, an annual sample of root server traffic uh, over time. And so, so somebody... Um, looked at the root server traffic from like oh five oh six oh seven or like two or three years and and the upshot of this rather uh long-winded explanation that i'm giving is that it that number didn't change so there's like a constant 97 98 percent background hum of junk coming to the root servers yeah yeah interesting yeah, so I'm, I'm just looking. There were actually two papers, two different papers that I think we're referring to. Um, there's, uh, I'm looking at, at one. Oh, which Sebastian is, Castro. That's the guy who wrote one of them, I'm pretty sure. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Because the one I was referring to, uh, I'm looking at, at one of them, which is 2007 Day in the Life uh, DNS Root Server Analysis, which sure is Dwayne and Haven Hash, uh, who I, I don't recognize. But the previous one was, uh, was uh, Casey Claffey and Neville Brownlee and... And uh, and the rest of them, and it's called uh, DNS measurements at a root server. Oh, yeah. so there's yet there's yet that other one that I mentioned that is your caching resolver. Yeah, meter, yeah. So. so there there are lots of them. There's lots of evidence that this is this is an ongoing problem. I mean, I guess it's just one that we've engineered around for the time being. Yeah, I mean, for for the most part, just just by by provisioning. I mean, at at, at this point, uh, you know, anybody can go to root-servers.org. And look at the number of root server instances they are. I mean, now with AnyCast, 
I, last time I looked, there were uh, over the uh, more than uh, 250 uh, different physical instances of uh, root servers, you know, and they're literally all over all over the world. So, you know, the the, the root zone at this point is you know fantastically over provisioned. Yeah, yeah. I think last I, I looked just recently because I was answering a question about the whole anonymous, the threatened anonymous DDoS attack, and I think there were two, 259. And the one thing I, I actually meant to ask you about that. Um, I don't know that that actually counts individual servers or just, I don't know what they would call sort of instances, um, you know, for, I, I, I'm, I'm fairly sure that, you know, they would count as one um, an instance of, say, A or J root that VeriSign runs in one location, but which is probably, uh, you know, a lot of individual servers and backup load balancers, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I you know, I, I can't. I just don't know the details for all the other root operators, but you know, I think it's a, it's a safe thing to say. I, I do know that 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 count does indicate like an instance means a location where a root server that answers to that IP address is is installed. But right. in every case that I'm aware of, that means more than one physical server. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. so sometimes many more, as you said, sometimes many more than one physical server. Right, right. So 259 instances could be literally thousands of, of actual servers. Yes. Yeah, the, I mean, the days when a root server can be, you know, one one spark, sun spark, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That is not, those those are gone. Um, yes. All right. So, uh, what, so what? What's the consensus going to be that uh, judicious rate limiting? Uh, if you're not operating sort of public service critical infrastructure, is uh, you know probably a reasonable, yeah, reasonable and, thing. And then in some cases, um, you know, if if it's fairly obvious that what you're uh, seeing is some sort of attack, you know, uh, you know, possibly a DDoS attack or somebody trying to dynamically update your zone or something, I I personally feel free to. Um, you know, use an ACL or, or a, a black hole to prevent somebody from, from hitting my name server. Yep. All right. All righty. So did we have uh, one more question that we were going to try to get to? One more. All right. Well, this one comes from Louis Sturchy. And uh, Lewis says, um, I am a tech user who's trying to get more savvy on how it all works together. I guess he means all of technology. Um, he says, what advice would you give someone who wants more than a general overview on IP, DNS, registries, registrars, web servers, etc.? In other words, I understand generally what these are, but have less of a feel for how they all coexist within uh, an ecosystem. I appreciate any thoughts on the matter. So that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, certainly uh, uh, on the topic of DNS, I'd have my own favorite go-to <laughs> <laughs> resource. All right, well, so let's get that one out of the way. Cricket, what would you recommend I think for people I would, who want to know about DNS? I would recommend DNS and Bind, although I, I have to admit it is getting a little long in the tooth. It hasn't been updated since uh, uh, since 2006, but uh, at wow, least, you flies. know— it, yeah, really. I think uh, I think it does still do a, a pretty good job of covering uh, the basic theory behind DNS, though it does need to be updated for the latest versions of Bind, and it does need to be updated, I think, the DNSSEC material. Um, but what about IP and registries and registrars and that sort of thing? Yeah, I thought a little bit about this. Um, so I think for IP, 
I, I think the definitive text is uh, TCPIP Illustrated. There are actually three volumes. This is by W. Richard Stevens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but volume one is the one about the uh, the protocols. That's sort of how how everything works. And those are those are really clearly written, well written books. Um, so it's you know it's TCP Illustrated by W. Richard Stevens. And if I'm not mistaken, I think there's a second edition coming out. Um, a colleague of mine uh, had a review, or he had reviewed it, and therefore had a had now a you know an early copy. I think it was that book, but I don't. It, it was I don't know. The point is, go get that book, TCPIP Illustrated by W. Richard Stevens. Yeah, who, uh, I, I agree. Those were th- th- those were very good books. And and you know, he he died tragically young. I I know. I I uh, I remember that happened a, f- a few years ago, and he was maybe in his forties, was it? He, he, I I just looked before we started recording. He was forty eight, and he died in uh, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah, and and he, I, I guess uh, he sent me email years ago. I, I was I felt really privileged to receive email from him. He had been reading DNS and Bind, which I also <laughs> I was floored that he he would have uh, been reading it. But he had been to um, the Dominican Republic, and I used at some point in one of my examples. I used puntacana.dr. Dr is the CCTLD for uh, the Dominican Republic because I'd I'd been there. Paige and I. Uh, went there in 1990 or 1991 and flew trapeze there. And he wrote me about that just to ask, is that what this is a reference to? And so we exchanged a little bit of email, but I, I never met him in person. Yeah. And I, uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's perhaps kind of macabre to wonder, but I, I don't know what he, what he died of. It's not on the internets that I can find anywhere. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. just really, really too bad. I just, I, remember feeling bad about it at the time and feel bad about it to this day is such a loss so yeah yeah and as we <laughs> as both of us approach 48 <laughs> it's also yeah. a little uh a uh, little little uh, uh scary just to, to to think of of someone uh you know dying so young yeah all right well let's press on good heavens all right uh, so uh registries and registrars so mm-hmm. uh this one is a lot tougher uh there are Wikipedia entries, of course. Everything has a Wikipedia entry, and I looked at them, and they're they're not long, and they're and they're okay. Um, you could also go to ICANN.org, and they have a. Um, oh, I just looked, and now I'm forgetting. It's a. Uh, let me tell you. Phil, you got to fill time. Fill time. <laughs> uh, let's see. It's called uh, resources, mm-hmm. and and there's a there's a lot of stuff in here, and none of it's. It, it, it tends to be really um, geeky inside baseball stuff for people who already know about registries and registrars. But I think if you kind of poked around uh, and were willing to be patient, you could find various things that were enlightening and that might go, oh, yeah, I've wondered about that. And there's, you know, I didn't need 50 pages, but there's, you know, uh, some stuff that I can take away. Yeah. So, so that's that's the best I can think of for registry registrar issues. The whole I can accredited domain name, you know, the the domain name industry business that you and I have spoken about this that we can hardly believe exists. Right. Right. I, I think I actually I, I covered just the smallest amount of it in some of the later editions of DNS and Bind. But I mean, actually, DNS and Bind has been around so long that when when I wrote the first edition, it, that industry didn't exist. <laughs> there was just one, you know. One organization, Network Solutions, that ran the GTLDs. 
Yeah, and they would have still been. Uh, that was that was ninety two, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they would have domain names would have still at least in .com and .net and .org would have been free at that point. That was before Network Solutions started charging in nineteen ninety five. Wow, I, I I didn't remember that free. In fact, it was before Network Solutions. It was when um, it was the the general uh, general services something. Oh right! Remember right, those guys? Right. Um, it was was that that it was like a a, a sort of a consortium of uh, AT and T and some other companies maybe. Well, well, that was the internet. That was the internet. Okay, so yeah, this so, is after the internet, but well, this is part of the internet. This is the people. So the internet uh, was an agreement with. Um, it was it was three separate agreements with. At that point, it would have been NSF, and there were there were directory services. Registration right. services, which is the one we're talking about, and information service. Does that sound right? There were, there were three components to this internet project, and the only one that ever really took off that anybody cared about was the registration services portion, which was registering domain names, running the root zone, and all that. Mm-hmm. And this company, G, I want to say they were GSI. G- GSI. You're absolutely right. It is. It was GSI. Yeah, and so they they had it first. I think they had it for a year when 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 it went from. So this used to be DoD handled all this, you know. And then when DoD said, "All right, we're getting out of the uh, out of this business. We're going to turn this over to you know non-military," and NSF picked it up. Then GSI had had this agreement, the registration services portion for a year, mm-hmm. and then Network Solutions, and ironically, um, they they outsourced it to Network Solutions, and then <laughs> and then a year later, Network Solutions said, "Well, I maybe we'll bid on that as the prime," and and yeah. they and they won, and the rest the rest is history. Exactly, a little bit a little trip down memory lane. So so I guess that's our best pointer, right, to, to the ICANN website and maybe the Wikipedia articles and maybe the little bit of information that might be in later editions of DNS and Bind. But I wonder if, you know, I wonder if there are less um, technical sources. Uh, you know, Milton Mueller has a book called Ruling the Root that I actually have on my desk. Uh, and, I, and it probably traces a lot of the evolution of that system. I, I thought of that. I wasn't going to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular reason? Do you not like no. the book? Okay. No, I better not go there. No, it, you know, it's this. It's uh, it it it's it ha- it comes from a certain perspective. Okay, right, right. That's certainly true. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's probably about the best we can do with that particular question, isn't it? I think so. He he does say web servers. That web- I mean that's that's huge. Uh, yeah. I would say go to uh, probably O'Reilly and Associates has. Oh, wait, no, they're not. No, it's O'Reilly Media now, isn't it? It is O'Reilly Media. So right. I would say go to O'Reilly Media. There's all manner of books on that topic. You can get a book specifically on Apache or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. That, or any, that, any number of other web technologies. Yeah, if you want to yeah, learn about exactly. Java or JavaScript, they've got dozens of books about Java alone. Yeah. Hmm. All right. That, that seems like a podcast. I think so. I think so. And it's just about the normal length. We seem to be good at uh, <laughs> talking in sort of an off-the-cuff, impromptu way and having it come in just under 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, and my, my commute's a little shorter now since Ferrisine moved offices to Reston. So this is, you know, this is good. It's under a half an hour. So this is ideal uh, commute length for me. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My, my commute's about... Uh, it's about 30 minutes as well. <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm about eight miles as the crow flies from my office. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm, I'm farther than that. I'm about twice that. 
So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Verisign has a nice shiny building in uh, in uh, Reston Town Center in Reston, Virginia, just to, just across the street from the Internet Society, and uh, well, literally across the street from Google's uh, Reston offices, and it's uh, it's a it's a it's a nice building. Yeah, nice, nice new location. And I oh, like it's not a new building, but a new location to Verisign. Yeah, I like that um, that that area. I remember when I was working for Verisign coming out and, and, and visiting Reston Town Center, there were there were a lot of a lot of nice places to eat there. You know what, this is something familiar. I think we talked about this in the last podcast. I think we may have, or at least you and I have talked about it. Yeah. We should have right. a list where we cross things off. Already talked about move to Reston Town Center. Yes. You know, we've exhausted Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Anathem. <laughs> Various Star Trek episodes. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, I think we should wrap it up before we lose people. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, as always, for uh, joining us for the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send uh, any questions you have about DNS to uh, Mr. DNS, that is MRDNS, at ask-mrdns.com, and we'll do our very best to get back to you uh, as quickly as possible and answer in one of our podcasts. So uh, until sometime next month, sometime in March, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye.